Hey y'all, welcome to Garden Pepper Presents Podcast. Today my guest is Stefania D'Andrea. She is a young Italian woman I just met on Twitter. And after reading an article she wrote, I thought regard, I thought she'd be an interesting person to bring on. And she wrote an article regarding the Italian-American heritage and its how it relates to Columbus and the pride that's involved with that. And her as an Italian-American growing up in Queens, New York, um, challenging her community to... Uh, relinquish the Columbus moniker and maybe look for something else. Uh, we talk about that and so much more, you know, as it is. Garland Pepper is a biography show, so we get to learn a lot more about Stefania D'Andrea, and she is just a wonderful ball of energy, and I think you'll enjoy it. Thank you. Well, hello, Stefania. Hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing very well. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is Stefania D'Andrea. Hi. And she is a prose comedy writer. And she has performed at the Comedy Pit, which is an improv group. We'll talk about that today. Uh, She also is a writer for YouMightNeedToHearThis.com. Uh, she does a weekly, is that a weekly you said? Monthly contributor, yeah. Monthly contributor to, and that's a monthly magazine then, an online blog. The, yes, it's um, it's just starting up, and uh, the next round of pieces will be up on September 28th, so watch out for that day. <laughs> cool. So where do you get your ideas for such things? Like, what do you think, there's an assumption that people need to hear this. So a very, very good friend of mine uh, who I met in high school, actually, this is her literary, online literary magazine. Uh Uh, Her name is Victoria Crow. Um, She's also a writer. She she studied at the University of San Francisco and she has her degree in creative writing and she's um, doing this online magazine and it's called You Might Need to Hear This because the theme is it's all nonfiction pieces submitted from from people who have a topic that they feel passionately about that they think needs needs more attention um Mm -hmm. so she's just starting it i think especially in the wake of you know the black lives matter movement and thinking about how we need to really think outside of ourselves and how we're a part of something more is I think the, what spawned probably the, the idea or the thinking around it. Yeah. Victoria is very aware. She's very self-aware. She's very aware of what's happening and she wants to help. And she's giving us a platform to, to speak on. And obviously it's nothing inappropriate. Like it's, it's a place where people, can read pieces on on what's going on and see what they can do to become more involved and to learn more about it i believe that's where i read your article yes that's the website where you read my article thank you yes yeah so what i was interested in was that uh and like you said there there are perspectives that we're not seeing and and you brought to home your experience and like and i like this that it's nonfiction. Um, and then you you worked that into the responsibility of the people that 
your tribe, I guess, if you will, if, if we want to talk in terms of tribalism or your group or uh, in specific, the Italian Americans. Yes. Um, I was thinking um, it was it was a combination of things. So for the for for a while now, I've been feeling very uncomfortable with the celebration of Columbus Day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the only Italian American who feels this way, but I feel like we're a silent group. I, I think we're just getting shouted over by um, these very, you know, proud Italian Americans who are just mm-hmm. neglecting to really understand our connection to Columbus and what Columbus, what the horrors and the atrocities that he committed and why are we willing to overlook that just so that we have a day off from work you know right it's it's a little you know when we just we need to open up a conversation about why we're doing that i mean there is the kfc you know the knights of columbus right and these these organizations have been around for years and and i know the the italians and the and the portuguese and the spanish in america they they kind of revered these shipping folks because that was, that's their heritage and that's their, you know, that's how they got here. Mm-hmm. Um, however, that, I guess that's the thing is it's, you're, you're talking about moving a, a freight train there in a sense, just it's, because of the cultural depth. Right. <laughs> right. It's very, um, it's, it's difficult because there's the, like Columbus Foundation or there's there's different Italian American groups that are tied with Columbus. They have Columbus in the name. There's this, you know, you you write about the importance of Columbus and it's like all of this and 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 we have these this like Columbus statue that is is up and and recently obviously this year because of George Floyd being murdered and that accelerating the Black Lives Matter movement, there was a discussion in June about these Columbus statues. This, mm-hmm. Well, the Columbus statue. Um, yeah. I say statues because nationally there's more than one, but specifically there's a lot of talk about the one in Manhattan. Um, and Governor Andrew Cuomo is an Italian-American and mm-hmm. He was asked about it. Um, you know, I, I write about it in my article. I don't want to, I don't want to talk too much about it because I would like people to visit the website and read it. But as sure. as was known in the news in June, Andrew Cuomo, Governor Andrew Cuomo, was asked about these statues, and he said, "You know, we don't agree with what Columbus did, but these statues have come to serve as a source of pride for Italian Americans." So what I'm trying to open the discussion for is why are we overlooking this just to celebrate Italian Americans? Why are we trying to preserve this connection between Mm -hmm. Columbus and Italian Americans? And then a little bit further, why is there such a willingness with some people to overlook the, the dark side of it and to act like it's really not important to the point where you become desensitized to it? Mm -hmm. I think I think one of our biggest challenges, especially when we're talking about people my age and older, um, is that, you know, we were told something and we believed it and we thought it was true. Mm -hmm. And we lived our life with that truth. 
Mm-hmm. And when you get older, it's it be, it's more difficult to have our truths challenged and and to feel like you don't know now. You know what? I I completely understand what you mean. And mm-hmm. I've thought, you know, I, I say, like, I've said to a couple of people about this, like, you know, my parents' generation, people who are older, it's like they've, this is what they've known for decades. Oh, and yeah. also, we now have grown up with the internet. We have so much more access to information mm-hmm. that older generations never had. So mm-hmm. not only are we younger, when we can find it out, we can find it out immediately. Mm-hmm. So that's why, that's one of the many reasons why I wanted to discuss this topic, because the point is to have the conversation in our communities, talk to other Italian Americans right. about this, talk to your parents about this, talk to your grandparents about this, your grandparents for 60 or 70 years have been taught that this is a source of pride for us. Nina, the Penta, the Santa Maria, <laughs> just, yeah, it's all noble. It's all, right. you know, it's, they discovered America, you know? And, oh, I, oh yes, of course. You know. Right. In, in, in the year 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Yeah. There's a sure. right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it was almost in, infant. What do they call that? Infanticide. Or if, if, when they start teaching kids like, really young it's like they're they're programming you yes it's uh like you're being conditioned kind of mm-hmm. yeah and, and i was on the wrong word there i couldn't find it My- no it's a, i know what you're saying you're being conditioned to believe something and mm-hmm. society is telling you this is it school is telling you this is it your friends and family are telling you this is it mm-hmm. so there's it's you know that's why i'm saying it's of course it's it's if you really hit home with a topic you don't want to confront it and that's another reason why it's difficult so this is the first stage just talking about it so you grew up in queens yes you have a deep understanding of your community there and it it is as my understanding is that if you're in queens and you're an italian american you live in an italian american neighborhood for the most part Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Except for recently, apparently Queens is the most diverse city in America. Oh, in the entire world it's the most diverse County in the world. Yeah. Which is very cool. Very proud of that. (laughs) Obviously I'm not responsible for that, but I I think that's very cool. That is pretty cool. So, but every neighborhood is still pretty specific or are they starting to integrate also? No, that's it. It's um, honestly, it's, it's kind of, I think it, I mean, it, when I think of a visualization, it's kind of like a patchwork blanket mm-hmm. to me because we're all, and it's not, and I'm not, I, I'm also not the only person from Queens who feels this way. I think like 99% of people from Queens feel this way. Mm-hmm. We're all different people in the same place, but we are all in our own pockets, which honestly, like, it's just because so many people over time, like moved here, but obviously there's, that's another conversation that's linked to this. It's like this segregation within our community. Like, let's talk about this. It's not cool. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yes, I am. I'm from Queens. I'm born and raised from Queens. I am from a very Italian American neighborhood there. And um, 
Yeah, it's, um, I feel like the, just in general, the thinking is, is, is old fashioned and too far behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thinking there, um, we need to like catch up with, with the times a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So was it kind of a pretty well settled neighborhood when you were there? Like not a whole lot of problems, pretty chill, a lot of family stuff and big Catholic events, I imagine take over the streets. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Hit the nail on the head basically. Um, it's, it's one of those neighborhoods where your grandparents live there, your parents live there and you live there. It's like, it's one of those places where you, like I half the people who live there are like second generation or third generation people who've mm-hmm. lived there. And yes, it's Italian. So there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of Catholic churches. So there's a couple of Catholic elementary schools, right. uh, but there's also, there's actually more in my neighborhood. There's m- more public schools, I think. Um, and yeah, like confirmations are a big deal. Communions are a big deal. Oh my God. Christenings are a huge deal. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll see people <laughs> when there's a christening, you'll just see like 50 people taking up an entire block sometimes taking pictures outside. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, yeah. I mean, that's, that's really wonderful. What you were talking about ahead of that is, is that it's really hard to move and to move minds and, the situation that you have is you have this kind of generational traditional lock-in of, of ideals and feelings about things. And even probably a lot of ideas that are culturally shared that are taboo to jump out of, like to not be part of those ideas. Yeah. And that's what happened. I noticed when I was on the East coast that the whole East coast is more settled in with what they are than the west coast yeah okay they're they're embedded into history a bit more it's thicker um and i think that's why you know new york city is so enamoring to a lot of people because that's the one spot there where it kind of keeps flipping around it's always active there's always something new happening Mm -hmm. but could you could you tell me a little bit more about the west coast i've only been a a couple of times Mm mm-hmm so, first off, the Pacific Ocean is massive. Right, and it's way cleaner than the Atlantic Ocean. I think so, and it, <laughs> it, seems, it seems a lot more uh, vibrant. Where, we at, where we're at, you really can't get into the water without a wetsuit if you're going to be in for more than a few minutes, unless you're 12. Like kids, <laughs> kids can go out there and play for like 30 minutes, come back, shivering standing by the fire and then go back out and do it again but not very often you don't see a lot of a lot of people out in the water here except our surfers which um they wear they wear dry suits because it's too cold for a wetsuit okay yeah now southern california when i was in the marines i was stationed at coronado and it's just like beautiful temperature all the time um and the waves would just come in and and you know, could surf them all day long. And so that's where I surfed. I, I've never surfed in Oregon. It's too cold. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I also, so that was Southern California, San Diego. Um, just so many people down there. And that's the thing about Southern California. It's beautiful. 
but there's so many people and it's so expensive. So everybody's on a hustle. Right. One of the times I visited was in San Francisco. I was visiting Victoria (laughs) who created Mm. the website and yeah. um, Yeah. And I was surprised the weather was like New York. It was, it was in the sixties. And we were talking about rent and she said that her, she was telling me her rent. And then I, and we discovered that San Francisco is the only, it's the most expensive city in America to live in. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh my God. And it's beautiful. What month were you there? I visited her in October. Okay. October. So one of the things that happens in San Francisco is it can be just the most beautiful day, um, you know, 80, 90 degrees in Sonoma County. And you can drive across the Golden Gate Bridge. And actually, once you go through the Rainbow Tunnel to the Golden Gate Bridge, you'll just be drenched in fog. And it's it can just be colder than all get out in San Francisco um, in the middle of summer. Really? Yeah. Mark Mark Twain once said the coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, my God. I love Mark Twain. Okay, that's a great quote. That is a great quote. I'll have to remember that. Okay. Yeah, I know. I knew that it was a bit foggy. I didn't know it was that foggy. That's so funny. It can be. And it just spills in. There's like this. As soon as you go through the tunnel, it just spills in. It almost looks like a liquid, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, Until you're in a, you know, um, a car with no top and you're wearing a (laughs) tank top and shorts. And all of a sudden that drops in on you. You go out, got to go all the way across the bridge, just freezing. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to turn on the heat in the car. It doesn't work. It just, it got no it lid. just blows right out. <laughs> yep, convertible. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. So you're a writer of prose, but also comedy. But let's go back to Queens. I want to get a little more flavor of that. Um, I, I kind of, did you have brothers and sisters? Yes, I have an older brother and a younger sister. Okay. Yes. Do you get along with them great? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I find over time we, uh, um, I, I get along better with my siblings than I did when I was younger. That's exactly how I feel. I think we all get along better now that we're a bit older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I think when you're yeah. young, you're always encroaching on each other's space. That's exactly. Yes. That's exactly what I was going to say, because now we, we have our own space. We don't, when we see each other, it's because we want to see each other. <laughs> it's not because we're crammed together. <laughs> you got to give me some time to prepare for it. Yeah, yeah. Mentally, mentally and emotionally just prepare yeah. myself. <laughs> she knows all my triggers, don't respond. She knows exactly. all my triggers, don't respond. <laughs> just like say a silent prayer. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, um, yeah we also, uh, it's just interesting our dynamics because we all we have really large age gaps between us well oh, okay I, I mean that's relative some like some people wouldn't consider this large but my my brother and i are five years apart and then my sister and i are eight years apart okay so i have the same dynamic in my family my daughter is my daughters are eight years apart i have two daughters and what's interesting is my granddaughter's eight years younger than the other one because my So there's eight, eight, and eight between my other daughter and my granddaughter. Look at that. That was a, that's so cool. You guys, <laughs> it's like, it's a little tradition and you didn't even mean for it to happen. 
No, we didn't. No, actually, we were we were trying to break that relationship up, but it happened. So, yeah, eight <laughs> years was um definitely strange. And I'm yeah, you said you had two daughters. Yeah, with two sisters, we we shared a room too. Wait, they're ten years difference. Sorry, my daughter and granddaughter are ten ten years different. Oh, that's okay. No, but my youngest daughter, not much. My daughter did not have a child at ten. <laughs> And just like casually forgot to mention she was in the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I don't know if that's a record. No, I. <laughs> There's the Appalachians. Things happened. No, <laughs> I was just trying to make light of it. <laughs> <laughs> but um. No, that didn't happen. Not ten. Seventeen. A ten years and eight years are, I think, between between sisters is similar it's it's, it's a bit it's re- it's really difficult when the younger sister is just born um yeah. and mm-hmm. we we shared a room too so it was like oh my god it was it was horrible like i would wake up in the middle of the night constantly because she'd be crying in her in her crib and stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now um you know, but it didn't even take until now, you know, like when she was a kid and I was a teenager, we were, you know, I would play with her and stuff. And it was like, and we also had different, we, when she turned five, I got my own room. So like I had, been, I had had my own space for a little while and stuff. And well, then you, you know, could come back. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, and she's, you know, and now she's, she's in high school and she's, she has a good on a good head on her shoulders and she's very active and extracurriculars and like leadership stuff so she's like we can talk she's like a little adult kind of she's like a little mini adult that's that's excellent excellent. (laughs) i'm still not there i'm 58 (laughs) i'm just an oversized adult now (laughs) you have time listen you have time (laughs) yeah so you guys that is interesting the the dynamics of that eight years thing because we we experienced it sounds like the same thing in a lot of ways so uh, we brought the baby home and handed her to my daughter and the baby smiles. And we got this picture of the baby smiling while my oldest daughter is in, in the midst of a panic attack in the picture. Really? Yes. Cause she's just like, this thing's going to take over my whole life and I don't have a life anymore. And these people don't want me anymore. And this thing's going to be more important than me and blah, blah, blah. She was freaking out. You she know. had an existential crisis and well, you guys t- took right. a snapshot of it. And a month before, we had changed her bedroom. We had sent her upstairs. And so she had her own room up away from everybody in the house. And the baby was going to take her room. Oh, she, there was resentment. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really, really common um, with older siblings when, when a younger sibling is born. Um, yeah. And then I think the age difference just exacerbated it because you have to pay so much extra attention to an infant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. That's, I kind of I for like the first two years of my sister's life, my parents were completely just like occupied with, you know, with yeah. and I and I took a lot of care of her, too. I would I would help out a lot, too. And it's just like you got to you have to keep an eye on a baby every possible second. You know, that's true. They take a hundred percent of the time. So we were going through this. We actually, because we're, our blind spot had been cleared uh, because of this situation happening to us. When my granddaughter, she, she started acting out in school and there started to be issues. And so they sent her to the counselor and she's just like, I'm afraid 
you know, I'm, they're not going to want me anymore because they're going to have this baby and, and I won't be any, anything, you know? Aww. Yeah. So I was talking to her and, and she goes, I said, so you're, you're afraid, you know, a little bit. She goes, yeah, I'm afraid that that baby's going to, you know, take everything away from me. And, and I'm like, well, you're, you're right. Actually, you're going to need to accept this. You know, I was like, this baby is, it, it can't eat on its own. It can't, you know, it can't change its own diaper. It can't do anything for itself. And so, so it is going to appear like that baby's going to take all of your parents' attention because it is. One thing you can do though, is be a good helper. And if you're a good helper, then, you know, you can make it so that they have more time to be with you. And she's that, like, oh, that's a good idea. That's incredible that you sat down with her and you, and you took the time to, you know, consider her feelings and then explain that to her. Yeah. Well, we, we put in a lot of time with my daughter and my granddaughter um, while she was kind of getting her act back together. Um, so Lucy lived with us. My granddaughter lived with us for a good four years, three or four years. And so I was kind of her, I, I'm still probably her, her, her male role model, even though she has a really good stepfather. Oh, that's okay. Well, that's great. She has both of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we provide different value. I, I imagine I, you know, it's, it's their home. Um, but when she comes over and she comes over quite often, we get into conversations and she's really smart. She's nine years old now. She's super smart. Yay. We love a smart little girl. She's going to rule the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what we like. Smart people. I, I'm finding less tolerance for people who aren't smart. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, not just not smart, but lack critical thinking skills. So the ability to kind of not accept information um, at face value, to research it deeper and actually see where the flaws are and to be able to see where the flaws are. And, you know, and then they start spouting off like they got some answers and I'm just like, oh, my God, you need yeah, to stop. People who are willfully ignorant and then speak out of a place of just complete lack of understanding. Right. But they're deluded into thinking that they got it all going on. And yeah, it, you I know, think it's, uh, uh, it's like it's that weird bravado. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but, you know, <laughs> Q, Q knows what it is and exploits it. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I think when you just decide to deny evidence mm -hmm. and you're just basing your, your opinions off, off of your feelings, as opposed to basing them off of facts and, and, you know, data and everything, mm -hmm. you're only paying attention to your emotions. And I think that's why these people are so conflated. They're just like spending so much time worrying about like, how they feel that they they're like, you know what? I, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. You're wrong. I'm fine. Right. Right. It's like, you wouldn't need to do that if you just read something, just read. Something. Well, the thing is they are, they are reading things, but they're reading things that confirm their bias. And, and mm -hmm. so are, so are we all. Um, so right. it's good to get out of your bias and kind of check yourself <laughs> before you wreck yourself. <laughs> you know, you got to check on yourself. Um, and, we all want our truths to be confirmed. We all want Columbus to have been 
you know, the super duper dude on the Nina, the Pinta and the Santa Maria. And then he could jump from boat to boat while in full sail. <laughs> you know, we want magic. Uh, we want to believe those things. Um, and when people start challenging what we know, or at least what we thought we knew, it makes us feel dumb. And right. that's a that's a feeling of self. Right. Like I was either I was hoodwinked, you know. Yeah, it is so, it, people don't like feeling like they were, uh, you know, made, especially, I mean, it's like a mark. You know, you think about it. I'm in school. I'm this teacher's, you know, molding clay. And they're telling me something that I think they believed at the time. Mm-hmm. Research, research wasn't quite as deep. And um, this, so I, I got this trusted source of information. And to find out years and years later that that trusted source of information from that trusted person, you know, with these big ideas was only part of the story. Right. And that, right. That's, that's kind of what we were referring to earlier with just years and years of being told this and by multiple sources, you know, Correct. In, yeah. in school, you like your family it's it's just being told this so i yeah that's the thing it's it's just we have to understand that this is very difficult to deal with so from there we have to make a choice mm-hmm. are you going to keep stuffing that feeling down because you don't want to deal with it knowing in the back of your mind what you're celebrating mm-hmm. or do you want to Look at this a little further, which will be uncomfortable, but you have support from your community because you're not alone in this. I'm not the, I I mean, so many Italian Americans feel the same way I do and have been saying it for years. But like I said earlier, we're getting shouted over Mm -hmm. by so many people who have been taught for so long that what we're saying is just is not true. And I, it's just, you can't put your feelings over something when you receive the knowledge that is so, it's so, it's, it's knowledge that should make you say, why would I ever want to celebrate this person? Right. Right. And so let's say you and your dad or you and dad, your dad have pretty good conversations. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. my <laughs> We, from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, what's he like? What's your daddy's, uh, what's he do? He's a construction worker. Okay. Uh, so is my brother. Actually, my brother just graduated his apprentice program today. Well, congratulations. Yes. Congrats to him. He's no longer an apprentice. He's officially mm-hmm. a journeyman. Journeyman contractor, uh, electrical. Steam fitter. Steam fitter. Steam fitter. Yeah. They're both oh. steam fitters. My dad's been a steam fitter for like 30 years. Yeah. My neighbor's a steam fitter. Yeah, very handy guys. Uh, my dad has done so much work inside my house. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, you know, very, uh, Ital- you know, I don't want to say typical, but I guess like, well, not typical in a bad way. It's just like a very typical Italian. My dad is from Queens. Mm-hmm. Both of his parents are from Queens. So third generation you are, Queens. Yeah, but my dad's from Jackson Heights. And uh, his mother, who's my grandma, she's from Corona. And 
my grandfather is from Rigo Park, but we're all, and then, um, you know, it's just different parts of Queens, but yeah, they've been, yeah, I'm a third generation Queens person, uh, Italian American Queens person. And it's just like, you know, he's an Italian guy from Queens. Who's a construction worker who cares about his family and, and loves food. And it's, just, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's all that just, yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, everybody loves Raymond. Is I'll just say that everybody loves Raymond is a show that we watch pretty often. I'll just put it that way. So it it hit home at some level. Oh, it's at any level. Any that show, I, I feel like it was based off my family. Everybody loves Raymond. Oh, wonderful! That's a good show to have your family based on. It sound they were a little loud. Oh, we're loud. Yeah, we're loud. Yeah. I apologize if I'm loud. I'll, I'll, I don't know if I'm too loud on here. I'm sorry. No, no, it's good. So this thing, I think it kind of goes, okay, what's the level of this person's mic? And then it kind of adjusts. I think that's what the app does. Because typically, like, the first first thing when somebody says anything, it comes on loud, and then all of a sudden it's like, do-do-do-do, and it comes back right right in this kind of middle level. Okay, I'll try to keep it in mid-range. But, again, we also are a passionate people, so that affects how loud we speak as well. Yeah. So I, I've always enjoyed Italian culture in the movies and it's pretty well portrayed. And there's a few movies so? that that happen in Queens. As far as I know, I mean, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I don't know, mixed mutt based upon my old uh, 23 and me. Oh, very I'm, cool. Yeah, I'm all over the place in um, Iceland and Sweden and England and Ireland and Portugal Oh, you would have had a really cool family tree project in school. <laughs> yeah, it would have been crazy. Yeah. yeah. And it only has one one leg because my mom uh, met my husband one night. I met, met my dad one night. Uh-huh. My husband. That was weird. Uh, yeah. <laughs> met my dad one night and that was that's all we know of him. Okay. So just but you said you took the 23 and me and then you and then you saw all the all the countries that your family's from yeah you can see what your uh what your nationality what what you look like you know um and it, you know it takes it all the way back to central africa where we all start apparently yes and, we all yeah we all come from there yeah and i, and I got a little bit of eastern european some you know it says i i have some some jewish in there from that and then Iceland and Sweden um, and Sweden I know comes from my my mom's mother she was Swedish and Irish you're oh are, I'm sure you have fair features yeah I'm fair and round and short <laughs> not that short um, so I, I was I'm five too don't worry <laughs> I was 511 in high school and uh, I'm about 510 now I think it's because the compression 510 is not short you're not short no, but I have really short legs. If you see me in a car, I look really tall. I look six three, and then I get out, and it's like, what what happened to his legs? It, it's a Portuguese trait to have, you know, short legs. That's so funny. I um, that reminded me of the opposite. Conan O'Brien. Have you ever seen Conan O'Brien talk about talk about how long his legs are in proportion they are, to the rest of his body? They are long. They are. He looks like he's walking on sticks. Yeah, he has like stilts underneath his pants. Yeah, he's so tall. I love watching like when he goes to different countries and such because he's just such a goofball and he has no decorum. 
I was you about know? to say he's so sarcastic. <laughs> oh my mm-hmm. god, he doesn't care who he's talking to. He's so no, sarcastic. No, I saw this one in Korea where this girl was just like, "Oh, you just need to go away. You're crazy." <laughs> you know, he leave me just, alone. Yes, it's, it, you know, he has her smiling, embarrassed, and it was, it was, it was funny. It was cringeworthy and hilarious at the same time. Yeah, there's a lot of that kind of content. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. What is some of the things, so you've had some conversations. Can you tell me about a difficult conversation you've had uh, regarding the, um, this, this topic, the, the Columbus conversation, say maybe with an uncle or somebody and, and have you figured out a way to open up for some of these folks? Cause I don't imagine some of them are even going to want to hear it. Right. So unfortunately, uh, I'm having some difficulty with my family, um, but that's okay because that's the point, you know? It's not like these. Mm-hmm. this isn't an easy conversation. My, right. my family already knew for a few years my feelings about Columbus, and right. they, they, they basically do what, what most people do, especially from New York, especially as Italian New Yorkers and just separate the history of Columbus and just view it as an Italian American pride day. Yeah. But that's the problem. It's the, it's the willingness to overlook this day and how it should never be celebrated and how native Americans have been for, like, just, I, I'm talking about how I'm part of a, demographic being shouted over native americans are being screamed over about this topic just just they have are the first have been the first voices against this topic um i was going to mention that earlier but it's just part it's a huge part of my article so i didn't want to but you know it's we're not the first ones to talk about this it's just because we're Italian, we're Italian American. It's our responsibility to talk to our families about this. And right, right. It's, it's an ally type of position. Yeah, and it's our responsibility. Um, it's it's. Do you know? Have you ever heard of Sonia Renee Taylor? No, I haven't. Okay, Sonia Renee Taylor. She's the author um, of "The Body Is Not an Apology," and it's basically. And she, so she, she, she wrote that, but on Instagram, she has this account. It's mm-hmm. at Sonia Renee Taylor and she uploads these, these videos and they're, they're long. So it's, they're not short, you know, you can, and she has a bunch of them and they're, they cover various topics, but they all have to do with race and our connection to race and I was watching a lot of her videos and one of them was about how it's white people's responsibility to talk about race because it's a white issue. It's not a black issue. And our, our entire conversation about race is centered on black suffering and, Oh my God, black people are, are dealing with this. We have to help them. Mm-hmm. And Sonia Renee Taylor is saying, 
there's not an amorphous blob that's causing harm to black people. Mm-hmm. White people and whiteness are what is causing harm to black people. So it's not a black problem. It's a white problem. So, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's policies. It's, you know, been one of the big things I've been uh, going off on lately is, is the inequity of zip codes. Okay. Okay. So the zip code you live in will determine like the zip code you are born in mm-hmm. will determine a whole lot about your life. Right. And, um, so there's a difference between being born in, in Queens, New York, um, with an established community or being born, you know, in Compton. Right. Um, your schools, um, you've got the option of a good Catholic school or a, a, probably a pretty good public school. Mm-hmm. And Compton, probably not. They don't have the tax dollars for it. Yes, exactly. So at the level of emerging human beings through no fault of their own just being born into a zip code has already put them on a different track different treadmill right where they are they have less they have fewer resources and they have fewer opportunities correct there's a lot less opportunity yeah and there always will be because you didn't get the right foundations because you went to a bad school. Because there's not enough funding for that, that community. Correct. Because right. community schools are funded through zip codes or through, you know, school districts. But, you know, typically they are within certain zip codes. You know, I had a friend who moved uh, from a poor zip code to a rich zip code in high school and never could fit in because you know if you're I and I did that too I went from poor poor high school to a rich high school and you know those guys are like hey we're gonna go uh skiing everybody let's go you know and you're like I don't have that kind of money I can't do that right right hey let's go out and get some burgers well okay you guys have fun right so (laughs) yeah you know that's it's just the thing where you you step out because you can't be completely in it yeah, you have to. With, yeah. No, I um, yeah, you you're you're on the periphery. It's like you're you're on the periphery, and then even so, sometimes you have to leave because you can't, you don't have the means to stay. Mm-hmm. I've had the same problem in my older years, um, hanging out with rich friends, and now a lot of them are like, "Well, let's just do it," and and they'll they'll pick it up. <laughs> but I don't, I don't. I don't like that either. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, because you feel like, yeah, there's no strings attached, but you feel in debt anyway. Yes. I mean, I do. I imagine some people are okay with it. No, but I'm, I'm in alignment with you. I would feel the same way as you do. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'll turn down like hanging out with a friend that I really like, but just because I can't keep up with their game. Exactly. And I, I'm in a similar, I, I, I'm starting to like tread those waters because I'm a few years, like my, my peers and I are a few years out of college. So we had spent basically our entire lives prior to that, essentially in the same boat. You obviously had friends who had more money than others, but you're all in the same place. You're all Mm -hmm. kind of in the same boat. 
few right. years out, everyone has their chosen career path. I have a friend who graduated with me. He currently lives in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. He's a he's a web developer. He's a coder. Mm-hmm. He has his own one bedroom apartment. Fantastic, gorgeous because he can afford it. And yeah. I'm not in that position, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's just now we're, I'm starting to enter the phase of my life where it's like, oh, my friends who previously we were all like on the same level. Now we're starting to be on like different financial stages, you know? <laughs> right. And it just, it complicates things at some level and it shouldn't, but it does. I mean, just for you to go into Manhattan is going to cost you a lot more than hanging out in Queens. Right, right. But it's, you know what? It's like he studied computer science and I studied English. So I knew what I was doing, you know, well, I was in college sure. and I was like, I know I'm going to graduate and I'm going to eat rice and beans for a long time. <laughs> right. You know, it's okay. <laughs> so my, my friend uh, is an adjunct professor of writing at adjunct. I don't know. At, he, he's not a tenured professor, but he's been teaching there for 10 years. He's been teaching media and um writing okay at at oregon state university oh. and, and he was like he was like you know everybody was telling me the literary degree was kind of a stupid thing but it's worked out pretty well for him that's what he says you know it's worked out pretty well for me you know he's done some newspaper stuff he's and now he's had the university gig for 10 years so you know sometimes okay. sometimes you find your edge and, you, and you're getting out there with your words you're putting them out there Thank you. Yeah, I know. I know it's a long road and uh, I'm prepared for that. And thank you. Yeah. And that's a great congrats to your friend, too. That's really cool. I would like to one day I would I always in the back of my mind think about becoming like an adjunct professor later, later on. I, mm-hmm. I think I would like that. Maybe a, like an intro to creative writing class or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and and some of those like you can even practice it in like one of the smaller colleges in New York city. Right. Like, like practice your craft and then get some stuff behind you. And where did you go to school? So I went to Hunter college. Mm-hmm. So I went to a CUNY. Um, do you know what a CUNY a, is? I'm sorry. A community college. Is that what they call it? No. Uh, it's a CUNY? Uh, yeah. Sorry. So CUNY is a, it's an acronym. It's C-U-N-Y. It's City University of New York. It's, it's a public, it's one of many public colleges. So, yeah. So I went to, and they're, and just like shorthand, like they're called CUNYs. So Hunter College is a city university of New York. It's a public um, college. I got a scholarship um, so I went to, I was in, it's, it's a little complicated. Technically I was in an honors college and the campus I chose to go to was Hunter college. So the honors college is called Macaulay honors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not really well known, but it, it's very within the circles where people have heard of it. Um, it's it's difficult to get into it. It's, it's, I, I, you know, I spent a lot of high school dedicating my time to, to get in because if you get in, you get a full tuition scholarship. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, and, and a lot of my 
peers who I went to school with are like very successful now a lot. Well, well, they're on their way. They're, they're in Columbia law school, <laughs> Oh, you know, not where I yeah. am right now, but <laughs> that's fine. You're on your passion. You're on your, you're on your quest. Yeah. Thank you. So I, um, yeah, I never talk about where I went to school because it's just so, yeah, but people really don't know too, don't know it too well. It's also pretty so, young. It was established in two thousand one. Oh, really? Yeah. That is pretty new. Who? Which mayor was that? Oh, I was I was a kid. Um, oh my God, I'm gonna sound like you could a just kid. say a Cuomo, and it probably would. No, Cuomo's there... the governor. <laughs> no, no, Cuomo's the governor. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll check. I'll check. I'm sorry, but I was, I was young. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I probably should know now. Um, well, that's, that's a pretty young school though. So that's, yeah. and, and you studied now, how did you get into it? You had to put, put together some pretty good papers that were, you know, that people were like, wow, this kid's got, got the stuff. Oh, thanks. No, I, um, you know, I, I took a lot of honors and AP classes in high school um, kept my grades up. Um, then I was on the school newspaper. So that's probably where I, that was where I started. I, I guess if you want to quote, not, not published pieces, but, uh, that was the first time I had an opportunity where I wrote something and then other people could read it. Like if they decided to pick up the school newspaper. So I did that. And then when I was a senior, um, I was the editor in chief and then having a title, like, you know, like to get just, it's, it's weird talking about high school. Oh, wow. I haven't talked about high school in a long time, but it's just like, um, well, actually I have talked about high school in a different way, which I can bring up in a second, but mm -hmm. my own high school experience, I haven't talked about in a long time. Um, I knew, and I was in glee club because I tried to get, you know, I wanted multiple extracurriculars. So I was in Glee Club and then I was a Girl Scout, um, which obviously is outside of school. But um, I got my gold award. Have you, uh, I'm sure you've heard of um, an Eagle Award in Eagle Scouts or Boy yeah. Scouts. Okay. So an Eagle Award is really well known. A gold award is like that equivalent for Girl Scouts. Like, but for a gold award, you so you to, have to do a project for the community and a project for the world, just right. like the Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. Right. When I was 17, I had a group of adults ask me how I thought I was going to change the world. And I thought I felt my heart drop into my stomach. That's interesting, because that's usually my closing question on the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Oh, well, at the end of the podcast, I can answer you as the 25-year-old me which is okay. a little more prepared than the 17 year old me was. Oh, well, let's hear that one. Is it a different thing than it is now? I'm telling you, I, I think I blacked out. I just remember that I said something good. I don't have any <laughs> recollection of what I said. Oh, wow. I think the adrenaline just took care of that question. And then that was that. All your ideas were already in the head. They just had to come bouncing out of your face. Thank you. Yeah, I, kn I know I didn't lie. I know whatever I said, I felt honestly. I just have no idea what I said. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I did a bunch of extracurriculars in, in school, and I 
was in honors classes and stuff. So they picked me and, and some other, a lot of other people. And it was a really interesting, it's a really interesting experience going to a public college in New York city. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will tell you the same thing. I actually wrote a comedy sketch called welcome to CUNY. Mm -hmm. And I presented it at the pit, uh, the people's improv theater in Manhattan. Um, and that was probably my most well-received sketch because I th think some people had gone to a CUNY, so they completely understood all the, all. So is it like the community? Have you seen the, the series community? Oh, crikey. Did we lose it? We lost it. What happened? Well, hello and welcome back. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Ladies and gentlemen, we are, ladies and gentlemen, actually, I don't want to say ladies and gentlemen, I want to say, hey, y'all, welcome back. That's what I'm going to say. You go, you go, Gary. Hell yeah. <laughs> so when we uh, left off, you were talking about putting together a comedy piece uh, for The Pit, which is oh my gosh, yes, a, yes. an improv group <laughs> in New York City, and it was based upon the uh, City University experience that you had right so um the pit is uh the people's improv theater so it's a theater where um you know comedians are able to have their own shows and do improv and do sketch comedy it's really cool there's three of them in manhattan and a friend of mine her name is nicole matarice she's the whole reason i even got into comedy mm -hmm. or i'm starting to get into it really um she asked me one day she knew I was a writer but she but she knew I wrote short stories and she had her own series at the pit and it was called author's intention and it's a sketch writing series where the actors and the writer comes on come on stage and and read their sketch out loud and and you you're in character like you're definitely playing a character while you're doing it but she said like this way you focus more on the written word Mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed it. It was really fun. It ran, I think it ran for eight months. I think six to eight months. Really? Um, yeah. Was pulling audience the whole time. Is that how it works or is it just workshopping? Oh, so no, it was, it was an audience. You had to buy a ticket to come, but as with any other like beginner in comedy, you know, like four people came and, and three of them are the parents of the people who are in the show. And one of them sure. just so happens to be someone who <laughs> bought a ticket. But um, there were a couple times where there, there was like eight people, eight to 10 people in the crowd. And that's like, that's eight to 10 audience members who may or may not laugh at what you wrote. So 
yeah. I, I was really lucky that I had four, I believe four sketches. So, um, it was, the show was once a month. Um, so I got into four of the shows and then I performed in the sketches of the other writers who are also fantastic. Um, so yeah, my friend, Nicole Matteris started the series and I started writing sketches because of it. And I really enjoyed it. And I was like, you know what, maybe I can try to do something in comedy, you know, do some comedy writing. I have writing experience, just not in this kind of writing. It's a whole new world, obviously, but you know, yeah, it's, it's to the punch. I mean, but some of them, like some good comedy can be a long story that, that kind of brings you to through laughter and then to, you know, to a punch. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, we wrote, so yeah, we wrote about different topics, you know, um, obviously you want sometimes like people want to say something pushing the envelope, which is totally cool. If you can pull it off and, and it can be really funny, but the sketch that I wrote was called, well, one of the sketches was called Welcome to CUNY. And it was basically about, um, I wrote a sketch. I wrote it where a freshman, a new freshman is in the guidance counselor's office and they're making his first semester schedule. And he's a new fresh face who has no idea what he's in for going to a public university in New York City. And none of the classes that he wants are available. And the classes that are available are on the 15th floor, but the elevators are broken. So you have to walk up the stairs. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then while he's making his schedule with the advisor, different people start bursting into the office, screaming different demands at the advisor. So at one point, the maintenance guy comes in and he says, you have to take one elevator to the 10th floor and the rest of them are broken. And then he slams the door. And then someone from the cafeteria comes in and she goes, listen, if you're having lunch, you better, you better be careful because there were mice in the cafeteria today. And it's just like, this kid is just like discovering all the horrors of CUNY. Mm -hmm. And before the show, the, like the other people in the people who were performing my sketch were, had, were reading it and they were talking to me and they were like, they if they went to a CUNY or if they had a friend who went to a CUNY, they were like, Stefania, this sounds like exactly like how, like my school, like I, I went to this CUNY and this happened. And then someone was like, oh yeah, I went to Queens College and this happened. And it's <laughs> like, that felt really cool that I could Just, make fun of something, but like we were like connecting over it, you know? So this campus is all over town. Like you have a class here and then you'll have a class there. Is that how it is? Or No, it's, um, it's each school. It's, they're different public colleges. It's just because they're all considered um, public colleges in New York city. They all have to follow like similar, there's similar rules between them. Um, there's, you know, there's, you can transfer between them easily. Like sometimes you can have a class at a different college but they're all separate colleges. Okay. Yeah. And where was your campus located? It's on East 66. Oh, oh my God. I can't believe I forgot. It's East 68th street and Lexington Avenue in Manhattan. And if you ever have taken the six line, the, the six train in Manhattan, there's a stop called 68th street Hunter college. And when you come out of the train, you're directly like outside of the school. 
See, I've never been on the on the trains in New York City. I've never been on the subway. Oh, okay. You uh, is it because it's gross, or you didn't want to? <laughs> I've just never been in New York City. I've the closest I've been to New York City is Long Island. Oh my gosh! And you pronounced it just like a New Yorker would say it. That's so funny. Well, it's, there's two G's there. One uh, one on the beginning of Guyland. Yeah, Long Guyland. Yeah. Yeah, and that was actually it was funny because the day I got out of the Marine Corps, I was stationed down in uh, at uh, in Havelock, North Carolina. And some other guy got out at the same time, and he lived in New York City, so I drove him home. Oh, that was kind of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have friends up in Pennsylvania I wanted to see, and I kind of wanted to come across the uh, I-80 across the country. And, and uh, so, yeah, that was that was fun. And I did it. It was the same uh, when they had redone the Statue of Liberty. That's uh, 1986. I had just gotten out of the Marines. Oh, wow. Okay. And I wanted to go into the city, but uh, they were like, oh, we don't go there. <laughs> oh, the, well, it was the 80s. So, yeah, I know. Uh, my mom and my dad tell me stories. Yeah, I've never been afraid of grit. Yeah, know. well, grit in uh, New York City in the 80s, grit is the perfect word to describe <laughs> that, uh, yeah. that setting. Yeah, I don't know. I just maybe I'm too stupid to know better. But I mean, I've, I've walked. Portland's got some bad areas and I've walked through there at night and you know you can get a little sketched out by people but just kind of keep your bearing keep your awareness and be ready to sprint <laughs> oh yeah I mean being a native New Yorker I was basically raised as from from childhood to be prepared to defend myself like every all my friends it's just a thing like when you grow up when you're when you grow up in New York it's just like yeah you start learning basically in middle school how to like mm -hmm. defend yourself. Yeah. You got to just be able to get out of a situation because a lot of times, you know, see a, you know, a little woman like yourself, they'd be like, Oh my God, she's going to be an easy mark. And then, you know, you throw something at them. They're like, Oh, okay. Back off. Oh yeah. As a woman, that's like you, you have to be prepared. It's, it's probably 10 times worse as a woman. Yeah. So I already, every time I leave the house, I have like five different ways I'm mentally prepared to attack someone with the items on me. There was mm -hmm. one time um, last year. So I have a, just, just to digress for a second, it's, it's an important detail. I have um, a pet bunny mm -hmm. and she eats like uh, pet, you're supposed to give your your bunnies hay for like 80% of what they eat is hay so we have these boxes of hay shipped um, and they can't come to my apartment building so they come to this like drop off location a couple blocks away mm -hmm. so one time last year I go to pick up a box and there's just so it's so stupid to ignore that gut feeling I don't even remember why, but I wanted to go a different way home. And it was mm -hmm. so, and I think it's because it was broad daylight. I thought mm -hmm. I was fine because it was, it was like one in the afternoon. It was like, you know, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. And I came across a group of people who were like verbally harassing me. And I have this giant box of hay where I, ca I can't defend myself because mm -hmm. I'm either gonna have to drop it and run which mm -hmm. literally it would take time it would like take extra time to drop it and run it mm -hmm. but if I do that then I'm going to 
most likely have someone start pursuing me if I start running. Mm-hmm. Or I can walk by them with my hands full, risking the risking, like knowing that I'm taking the risk that I can't use my hands to defend myself. And like, as a woman, like you have to think like that constantly. So I was walking and I'm like, should I drop this and run? But if I start running, that'll cause a scene or should I just keep walking? I had in the three fingers of one of my hands where I wasn't holding this gigantic box, I was Mm -hmm. holding a cup of coffee and I was like, I will burn somebody. (laughs) If somebody comes near me right now, I'm just going to throw this cup of coffee and it's like, that's, you have to think as a woman, you have to use everything on you as a weapon. Everything on you suddenly becomes a weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So were they cat calling you? And yeah. 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 Did they put hands on you? No, but I was really scared because of, there were three of them. And then they were shouting to a guy at the end of the block. So I was like, oh, great. I'm walking past these three and I'm walking towards another one. And the guy who they were shouting to was in the back of a giant truck. Mm. And, and I was like, I hope I don't get thrown into this truck. So I just, That's so scary. Yeah, it was it was really horrifying. And it, and it's like, would you expect that when you go to the to like the mail, the to the post office to pick up a package that like on your way home, you think that you're going to be in like a life or death situation. So is this just a result of a couple streets over wrong neighborhood kind of thing? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't live in the best area, but I wasn't far from my house. I just went, it was truly like maybe two blocks different from the way I normally go, but I went two blocks in the wrong direction because. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Just a couple blocks. Yeah. Just two blocks. Two blocks in the wrong. And I haven't gone that way since. And I was like, yeah, from now on, I'm just going to go the way home that I normally go. And I'm never going to go this way again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All it takes is one bad house to screw up a block. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one bad apple spoils the bunch. For some reason, everyone forgets the second half of that saying, is that one bad apple spoils the bunch. Mm-hmm. So. It does. It spreads its its nastiness to all the other apples. Exactly. So if you see a bad apple, you got to get it out quickly. Exactly. And, and wash the rest of them. Oh, yeah, that's an important step as well. Yes. <laughs> and chill them. Yeah. You got to chill it. You got to put them in the bottom of the refrigerator. They won't rot. Just in the freezer. <laughs> well, they are pretty cold. They like it about 33, I think, is what they keep the apple coolers. So apple coolers save the apple industry um, because they could harvest because they always harvest in the fall. They could harvest in the fall and they could actually keep them pretty good state um, with the right uh cryogenic suspension for eight months, eight to 10 months, which, you know, then there's the importing of the New Zealand apples during the off season. So it, it really helped them market their product throughout the year. That's so cool. How do you know all that? I had some friends who were in the apple business back when um, this was kind of becoming a big deal. Like um, apple orchards? Just, yeah. You know, cause any, any product you want to be able to sustain them. And so they'd been practicing, you know, what is the right temperature? And it's like, I think it's like 33, 34. It's just above freezing, but not freezing. Cause you don't want to, you don't want to Spoil freeze the structure. Yeah. yeah. As soon as you, as soon as you freeze, uh, you know, the structure, the fiber, it's all going to break down and become gelatinous. So um, you got to keep it above freezing, but not to where anything's really moving molecularly. 
too much. Does right. that make sense? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. But now so, there's a season where they're starting to... They're coming on. Yeah, right. they're coming on and they'll be harvesting soon. Right. And so they'll just throw these in these bunkers. So what they do is they just they dig deep, deep, deep bunkers and uh, they'll put up walls and uh, then they'll... Some of them are buried and some of them just have the top open, uh, but that's where they'll store it. They do the same thing with a lot of things like onions and things like that also just uh, dry cold storage oh okay okay that makes sense mm -hmm. that makes sense okay. and i believe with apples they'll throw in a gas to kind of keep anything else from going on micro uh, microbially on the on the skins okay and i know you're also not you're not supposed to store certain pieces of produce next to each other because they'll spoil faster yeah Apples have an enzyme that will make a, an avocado ripen faster. So if you have an avocado that you've bought that was too green, you can put it in a bag with an apple overnight, and the gases that come off an apple will help the avocado ripen. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. That's good to so, know. Yeah, you want that toast in the morning, but the avocado's not quite there. That's what I'll put do. It in I'll a bag stick with it, an apple. Stick it in a bag with a Granny Smith, and then I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. You um, like Granny Smiths? They're not my favorite. Okay. I like them. Just wondering. They're like they're I'm sorry, what? They're they're pretty. <laughs> yeah, they're nice to look at, but I don't know. I like so it's not a Macintosh. I don't know what it's called. My favorite apple. They're really, really big and they're almost rectangular and they have a very dark red skin. It looks almost purple. And Oh. They, you can find them in the grocery store. It's just, I don't know the name of them. Um, but that's my favorite kind. They're just like really big and they have like a really dark red skin. And that, and they're basically, they taste basically the opposite of a granny smell. <laughs> yeah, no sour. No, just... they're very sweet and mild. So that would, uh, there's a, the Honeycrisp is the one that, that I. I love a Honeycrisp. They cost, they cost as much as a steak per pound. Oh, well, really? Oh, they're, are they, are they difficult to, to grow? They're like, they're not as much as a steak. Steak's like five bucks, but they're, uh, well, I think what happens is um, in, in that market, if they can get a species that people just fall in love with, not a species, a, a type of apple, basically, that people fall in love with, then, you know, it costs more to buy the stock because somebody owns, it's all branded and, and, um, patented nowadays so there's somebody who owns the the patent to honeycrisp that's insane i didn't so know whenever you have a patent on a on a on a kind of fruit <laughs> right and so they'll they'll because they design these things these are all designer um apples i mean who knows what the base root is so what they do for apples you can graft an apple pretty quick okay um, is you can just take an existing apple tree and take a branch from a type of apple that you like and you can um, put them together. Uh, you, you basically put a long slice in a branch on the existing tree um, and then you do like a long tapered cut on the, the, the branch you want to insert onto the tree and then you, you wrap it with uh, kind of a waxed um, uh, waxed string okay and then 
and you just let it sit through the winter. And when it comes back in the, in the, in the spring, it should be grafted together. And that new limb will now start producing the other fruit. Oh my God. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it is cool. I've seen apple trees with like up to six varieties of apples on it, on one tree. On one tree. <gasps> uh-huh. That's so, you know, there's, there's a, there's a saying it's um, science is real magic. Mm-hmm. It's really incredible what you can do with science. That's so cool. It's it is way it is way cool. Um, you know, I have friends who are horticulturists and and they just love plants and they teach me things like this. And I, I don't know. I living in such a green space as we do, um, and stuff just grows. Um, if if you if you were to let your house just go for three years and not cut anything back, I, I swear to God that it would just take over. I started buying plants and I thought I was going to have two or three and I think I have 11 or 12. Mm. Just house plants, just little house plants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I don't I've never been able to keep them alive. My wife keeps them alive quite well. Oh, good for her. I'm I would say I'm halfway. I uh I I can be better. I should be better about it. Well, she would say the same thing. Oh, but yeah. I think <laughs> the fact that they're still alive to me that's just really cool cuz I don't I know they wouldn't be if I was in charge of them. <laughs> right. They, in, in like four days, they'd be drooping. <laughs> right. I had a plant at work and I would just kind of water it when it, when it looked sad enough. That, you know what? But that's kind of what I do. I'm like, all right, these things need water now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finally water it. I should have watered it sooner. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they just look at you and they, they kind of weep a little bit. And it's like, <laughs> oh, you poor plant. Yeah, maybe I'll make you work for it another day. Yeah. <laughs> getting up right now yeah give him my green tea and he's like oh yeah oh is that good for plants i don't know he seemed to like it that time <laughs> i'm gonna look that up after the podcast i'll check it yeah. out yeah oh, we used to throw coffee grinds in our plants i guess those are good well actually this is so funny you bring us up earlier today on twitter i posted i i don't know it i'm i don't know i'm a i'm a little out there i don't know if this is weird or not but i think people post ridiculous things on twitter constantly so i don't think this is bad but i've just noticed a lot of people on twitter at least who i'm friends with post about their house plants and how much they love their house plants and how they have like and i've seen pictures of some and it's like they have like 20 house plants mm-hmm. i think i think this is kind of funny i have a rabbit as i said earlier yeah rabbit poop is amazing for houseplants. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Because mm-hmm. well, they're eating just basically greens and they're chopping it up for you. Give it a little bit of enzyme and boom. Exactly. All she eats is hay and vegetables and these pellets that are made out of hay, I think. You know, there's nothing, there's no seeds or anything. No, pellets. It, it's not a super bad smelling uh, poo. It's kind of a sweet smelling poo. It doesn't smell at all, unfortunately. Like her we have bedding that like um like she's litter box trained so so thankfully like nothing smells but with rabbits their urine is what smells their poop doesn't smell which is kind of funny their poop doesn't like have a scent at all because i think it's honestly because all they eat is hay so there's nothing like for them to poop out but their urine is what smells but her like poop she poops constantly because she's eating constantly so yeah. earlier today they eat as they poop they just keep going 
Exactly. Slow down. Exactly. She, that's what she does. She just eats and then she, and she's just a, it's just continuous. It's just a, she's just, <laughs> like a little conveyor yeah. belt for that's hay. A, you're right. That's exactly. She looks like a conveyor belt in like right in front of my eyes. So I just put on Twitter. I was like, you guys have a lot of plants. My bunny does not stop pooping. She poops all day long. So if you guys want poop for your plants, like, let me know. And literally nobody responded to me. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, honestly, I was like, but people on Twitter are weird. This is what I mean. I'm so new to Twitter. I guess I don't understand. I am too. I don't understand it at all. Right. Because it's like people post weird things all the time and it's just accepted so i was like is this a weird thing that's acceptable or is this a weird thing that's not and i posted it and no one responded so i was like oh, okay maybe i shouldn't have done that i have no idea what people respond to i retweet right. like a, like a madman i just kind of retweet people's stuff if i find it even semi-interesting because i just want to let people know i'm out there and and i'm i'm backing you up buddy and right. then i'll tweet something and it's just crickets yeah okay i'm in the same boat we're in this together don't worry we'll we'll get through i don't know if i really want to be there i don't know what it is exactly i think i think that's part of the problem that's i i feel the same way i delayed making one for years because i knew that um i'm not the kind of person who would enjoy it and that i would i it's just a it's well known just in anyone can tell you even if you don't have a twitter that people say twitter is a very negative space yeah so i i delayed having one for a really long time but if you are a person who wants to pursue writing or comedy it's almost necessary to have an online presence on twitter yeah and i was like i don't think i can put this off anymore like i think i finally just have to make one so I don't really like it. I, I technically made mine um, in 2017, but I didn't use it ever. I just made it and then I deleted the app. So I, in May, like a few months ago, is when I actually like downloaded it and I started using it. Mm-hmm. So like my profile says it was a, like I, I've had it since 2017, but I've started using it since like May of this year. And it's just mm-hmm. a really weird, really weird place yeah and and you know i've talked to a lot of people and they go yeah i I went there and i don't get it it seems like it's an established community right like like you have to get into different communities and establish yourself as a voice within that community before you can actually move out at some level right and or you have to be really good at at you know one two three punch which some are you know there's some good good punchlines that come out of Twitter. Oh yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of people are really funny on there. Um, and it's just, you know, as I said earlier, I, um, it's kind of necessary. Any opportunity that I've had within the past few months has come from Twitter. You contacted me through Twitter, which thank right. you for doing that. Then this, you'd be my second Twitter contact that I've done a show with. The other one, actually, I don't have the show. I did a show with another podcaster out of Ireland called the Awfully Irish Podcast. Okay. How was was, that? That was interesting because it was uh, um, a Skype call. And and they had had a massive storm come through the night before. 
Oh no. And uh, they were, you know, that off the cuff, they were like, well, is it, uh, we, we don't know if we're going to make it, but, uh, you know, they're in the, uh, awful is, is the name of the County they're in awful Ireland. Oh my God. You can't even write that. Are you serious? That's where no, they're from? No, it's serious. It's spelled differently than they actually do it on their podcast. Right. It's called the Awfully Irish Podcast. But I was like, where are you guys from? We're from Awful. Oh, oh, so the name. Now now I know why the name is. I thought you guys were just, you know, mean blokes or something. Right. No, they were using the play on words to their advantage. Yeah, they were. That's and cool. I think, so they do that podcast and then the, they just game on on their YouTube channel. So their YouTube channel is them gaming and doing podcasts with people. That they sound really cool. Yeah, I, they're really cool kids. I like them. I hope that they're okay. You said the storm went through there. Are they okay? Mm-hmm. They were good. They got themselves a, um, oh, what did he call that? Uh, a breakfast sandwich, and I forgot what it was. But he says, "Oh, it was really delicious." So, yeah, they they were good. Things were open. They didn't lose power. Okay, good. He was like, "Everything's fine. I can I can grab a bite to eat. We're all we're all copacetic over here." Yeah. Yeah. So storms happen in Ireland. We talked about uh, global politics of all things at some level and uh, drugs. We talked about that a little bit. And uh, okay. yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, um, it's always cool to hear someone who's not American hear that, hear their opinion on what's going on. Yeah. I, w- I didn't realize they didn't really have an army. Oh. They have defense forces and you know they have, you know, like civil command, that kind of thing. Right. But they don't actually have uh, an army, a standing army in, in Ireland. Right. So I thought, I thought that I, would be I, very interesting. I never knew that. Okay. I never did either. I'd always assumed they had one. You're teaching me a lot of things during this conversation. <laughs> you're, you're well, you, you, you're you may want to fact check. <laughs> okay. I'll fact check. <laughs> yeah. In fact, check them apples. Um, Okay, so you're interested in writing comedy, and are you actually trying uh, some of the improv stuff uh, beyond? So what what I think you described was kind of like a a, a characterized table read, like a, a a more improvisational style, but a table read because they were held to words as opposed to straight out improvisation. Right. So that necessarily. So I've done improv a tiny bit that wasn't um improv it's just at the at the people's improv theater you can you can perform improv or you can perform sketch comedy I think you could oh and you can even do stand-up so when I was doing that it was it was like you said it was like a characterized table read that's that's a perfect way to describe what it was it was a table read but everyone was totally in character well I could Um, tell when you were telling the stories that I mean, you actually embodied some of the characters when you did it. So it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. It's it's not just a table read. It's a table read. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, exactly. Yeah, everyone. Oh my god, they they're they're so talented. The girls who um who were involved in that, um, I really love them. And yeah, again, that was Nicole Matteris, her show. Um, but yeah, so there wasn't improv in that but the way that they decided to tackle the characters because I when I was watching one that I wrote when I was Mm -hmm. watching the the actors perform a sketch that I wrote obviously in my brain I had an idea 
of what the characters sounded like because I wrote them out. Right. So to see people act them out is really, really interesting because there it's almost never like what you envision. Like how 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 an actor reads a character mm-hmm. and how they perceive it versus how you envisioned it when you wrote it. Right. So it was really cool to watch the other girls like how to d- decide how they were gonna I remember one of them, um, her name's Mary Coriano, and she has her own series, and it's called That Just Happened, Sketch Comedy. Uh-huh. And she produces and writes all the sketches, and she's fantastic. And I met her because she was in the group with us during this uh, sketch writing series. Mm-hmm. And she was a character in one of my sketches. And she was like, hey, you know what? Um, when I read this character, I was kind of thinking of this like midwestern accent is this what you were thinking and then i was like that's exactly what i was thinking oh my god oh that's cool (laughs) it was so cool i was like that's exactly what i thought in my head and she goes okay i didn't know i was thinking about just doing it in my regular voice i was like mary please do it in the accent so then a few minutes later they went on stage and they were performing it and when she said her line the audience like bust out laughing i was like yes I'm so glad that, you know, we talked about that together and like you right. know, she told me what she was thinking. That was really cool. So that one was in, in the bell house. It was in the voice. She wrote it and she found it. <clears throat> and that's exciting. Yeah. So what about the person who takes it their own way and it's a good way, but it's not the way that you envisioned it. Cause to be a good writer, you have to have a strong voice in your head for a character in order to write for that character. So they're taking your character somewhere else. How do you deal with that? I love that question. That's a great question. Um, I think in, in those circumstances, <clears throat> it didn't bother me because it's such a short form of writing that the character barely lasts unless you're doing like um, a sketch where someone's basically doing a monologue or it's like a one person sketch, you know. I always wrote sketches with a bunch of characters. Um, so... For me, if someone took it a different way, I normally thought it was cool because it was just like, they they just didn't let, I didn't write them out long enough. It's just the maximum I think we could write for pages was eight. And I never even made it. I would, because a sketch is normally like four to six pages. So we normally kept it in like the four to six page range. Mm -hmm. And so much of that is white space. And then so much of that is stage directions, like this person enters this room or voiceover or fade to black. So like, so like if someone changes up a character from what I think, they're only saying like a few lines anyway. Yeah. So I, I normally thought it was cool, but there was one time where someone like read they 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 messed up and they read for two different characters like in the same sketch oh and then people got confused and then people didn't understand the jokes because everything got out of syncopation right and then i was like damn it like how do you because that's not like just accidentally you know that's not like someone having stage fright or anything how do you read for two different characters in the same sketch like so That that kind of upset me because then the audience was so confused and they didn't understand the jokes. Right. And then I was like, okay, well, that didn't go too well. (laughs) (laughs) 
Have you seen uh, Community? No, but I know so many people who watch and love that show. I need to check that show out. It sounds similar to your sketch. I mean, it's a community college, and it's about the oddities of the people within the college. Um, and, you know, of course, being a community college, the ages are from, you know, kid just out of high school to grandpa, you know. And <laughs> Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase plays, you know, an older character in the in the thing. He went back to school just because that's, you know where he stays alive you know what i mean he's got that's what keeps him going that's really cool okay mm-hmm. I, and um... it's it's just funny um what's the kid uh donald glover yes that kid's yes. a genius oh yeah he's fantastic i um i need to watch community i know that it was on i know it started in 2009 and it was on for a few seasons um, I need to watch it. I've been hearing lately that a couple of episodes haven't aged too well, but I feel like that's good. That's bound to happen. Well, yeah. Um, it, and it's a little preachy for my liking. Okay. It's one of those moral at the end of the story things that they do. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm just like, okay, I didn't, you know, you know, it's like, you're trying to just unwind sometimes. You're not trying to <laughs> be force fed like a lesson or something. <laughs> Right, but they do deal with issues, which is kind of interesting. It is, it's kind of a uh, cultural exploration, you know, into people and them, you know, their best selves and that kind of thing. But they do it with a good, good sense of comedy. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I've heard really great things about it. I just, um, I know it's on Netflix, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to check it out. Yeah. So you. Prose or comedy? Comedy is your new fascination, but prose has been your your thing. Oh yeah, for a long time, absolutely. Um, I started writing when I was thirteen. I thought I was going to be like a great American novelist, you know. And then as you get older, it's like, and then also again with the progression of the progression of technology being an author doesn't hold the same credibility as it used to, because now like any idiot can be an author, any stupid moron can just write a book. (laughs) Yeah. So I had to kind of shift my focus a little bit, but I loved writing just so much. So I was kind of thinking of being an editor for a really, really long time. And then because of that, I started loving reading like staff reading. So earlier when you asked me, uh, I should have mentioned, um, I'm a staff reader for an online literary magazine. Mm-hmm. It's called KGB. It's a French word. It's spelled C-A-G-I-B-I. And C- yeah. Oh, I'll tell you the website. It's C-A-G-I-B-I. Mm-hmm. L I T dot com. So it's KGBLit.com. And it's an online. Yeah. And so you're a staff reader? Yes. So I read. So it's an online literary publication. And we publish. I, I love it so much. It's such a wonderful community of people. I love the people on staff so much. We don't get to see each other often. But whenever we do, they're just so kind. 
um, the founders, their names are Sylvie Bertrand and Christopher X. Shade. And they're two of the greatest people ever. Um, and it's an, so it's short stories, poetry, visual art, um, translations, short essays, interviews, just everything. Mm. I specifically am a fiction staff reader. So I get assigned. So um, the, the head, the editors assign me, um, well, me and everyone else, all the staff readers, it's just I get fiction pieces specifically um, every week. So we all get certain pieces every week and we read them and then we review them basically to see if they'll get published or not like within the you know and we write what we like about it and what and if it you know if we think it should get published so really so you're a bit of a jury in a sense well i mean i get i don't know maybe i didn't articulate it well it's that's how every literary magazine um works is you have multiple people read the same piece so that you don't have any you know you don't want one because I could love something, but someone mm-hmm. else could hate it, you know? Yeah. So you have to have more than one opinion on, on a piece. So right. I'm not the only person who reads those pieces. It's just other people read them at different times. So I'll read a piece and then maybe one or two other fiction readers will read it. And then both of the founders, Christopher and Sylvie, we'll read it. And then we all, we cast our vote on if we want it published or not. And then we see if it should go in. Um, when I was in college, I was the prose editor for my literary magazine. Um, and that's, it was almost exactly, that was basically exactly how we did it too. So I, I feel like that's commonly what you do. Yeah. I used to be on a writing website years ago. It was uh, sponsored by Francis Copeland. It was called Zoetrope.com. And, oh, cool. and it was a short story format writing uh, website. Uh-huh. And the parameters were that you had to read three before you could submit. Okay. So you had to read three, uh, give uh, comments based upon basic aspects, plot, um, you know, character development all of these things and then your own synopsis and you would post that on their story and once you got three then you were allowed to post your stories that's cool it was cool um but towards the end it started getting into weird flame wars um competitive and stuff uh no politics started coming into it of all things and it started to become something else and um and then I just kind of went away. It kind of imploded. Yeah, I don't know what happened with it. Um, I haven't been back to it in years. Uh, you know, this is back on my 486 computer. <laughs> <laughs> so I know. Okay. So you had to review, but then you could write your own pieces too. That's cool. Yes. Yes. And there were, uh, there was short story. Um, and then there was like, medium story so they they didn't do like long form so you could do like a short story 
or you could do something. It was like, I think it was like less than 20 some pages or whatever. Um, it was kind of mini novella kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And then there was, uh, you know, I, I was just going there to learn about writing and I wanted to learn more about writing. I was into it pretty big for a while. Um, but I don't know that I'm a good writer. So I, I, I'm a better writer for experiencing it, but I don't think I'm a good writer. So, well, one thing every writer thinks that they're not a good writer. So that's in your favor. <laughs> Two, you speak very well. You speak like someone who writes well. And I've been just from my internships and my current experience as a staff reader, I've been reading pieces for years now, and you just sound like a person who writes well. Well, thank you. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. I used to have a habit, um, but I've, and, and I keep, and then now it's a habit I beat myself up for not having, and that is writing daily. Oh, I should beat myself up because I also don't write daily and that's bad. Yeah. And I find that my life comes together so much better when I, even if I just journal and, kind of write out my aspirations and my dreams and the hopes or, you know, what I did today. Yay. That's awesome. That's yeah, I just, awesome. I, I just find it. Yeah. It helps anchor me better. Yeah. You know what? I need to do that too, for the same reason. I, um, yeah. I have a therapist. I'm very open about mental health and mental wellness. And she constantly tells me to write things down. And I think I'm just afraid to write it down. And that's why I don't, but I know Oh, a couple of days ago, I finally wrote down a to-do list. Like I had these tasks floating around in my head <laughs> for days yep. and days and days. And then I finally wrote them down. And I was like, I feel, I just feel a weight lifted off of me. And I, and I just, it's just because I have them out of my head now. Yeah. So that's so cool. So now you write every day. No, no. I, I, no, I, I beat myself up every day because it's my intention. <laughs> every day to write and I never do, you know, I take notes here and there. Um, one of my biggest challenges of this show actually is when I publish it, how do I write it up and, and how do I make it compelling so that people who don't know you will um, maybe click and check it, check it out, you know? And I think that is in that writing. I think that's in the hook. I think that is the hook. If I'm, coming to this website or uh, uh, podcast site and I'm looking through and I look at guests, I think those stories need to be, you know, I need, I need a good clip. Um, you know, you need and, to entice the audience, but you also need to encapsulate it in a short paragraph. So it's hard. Right. It is hard. And, uh, uh, you know, and also, you, you know, do you do a clickbait kind of thing? No, don't do that. I can, no, I know. if you want, you could send me your, what you plan, like your drafts or what you plan on. And then I can read them and, and give you notes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing is you'd have to remember cause you can't listen to it until it's published because it's the way the system works. Mm -hmm. Like I can't share it with you until it's been published. Um, so and then that's where my copy comes in. But I can always come back and edit that copy later. Okay. 
Okay. And this is another reason why I never publish it the night of, because usually I'll have a couple of drinks during the show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and marijuana is legal, so I might have some of that too during the show. Yeah, or, you or, go, man. Or before the show. So <laughs> after the show, I'm in no state of mind to be publishing anything, especially since um, I don't have a computer yet. It's on its way. Um, I've been doing this whole thing through my phone. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I... I admire your resourcefulness. Well, you know, you go with what you got. Yes. That's what the Marines teach you. That's um, my, my gold award actually was uh, for working with like volunteering for veterans. Mm-hmm. I, um, I did a, a fundraising drive and like a letter writing drive because it was during the holidays, like write letters and collect dry goods and non-perishable goods. And then I did um, a coupon drive for families of veterans, actually through the Kiwanis Club. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, thank you for your service. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it's, uh, I was in during, I'm telling you, I was blessed. There was, I mean, Beirut happened while I was in, but that was, you know, that wasn't a war. That was just a bombing of our barracks and, um, there's a few other skirmishes, but there, I was in during one of the more peaceful times. Okay. Yeah. So it was a blessing for me. Um, and I got to meet some good people and see parts of the world. Oh, good for you. Okay. I'm really, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, no, not everybody had horrible experiences. Um, but there are a lot who did and, and are still living those in their heads. And, um, I believe the number has gone down from 22, just recently. So that's a good thing. I hear it's down to about 18 suicides a day due to uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh my God. Every single day. Mm -hmm. That's horrendous. Yeah. For a while, it was pretty consistent at around 22 for years. Um, Actually after the Iraq war, it was really heavy, but uh, then it kind of just stayed. And, and so uh, there's different treatments that they're doing to help um, these, these folks work through stuff, I guess. Um, under under doctor supervision using ketamine and things like that to help them kind of work through their feelings um right because it's a conflict you know you grow up learning the 10 commandments and then your government tells you to go break the big one right right you know and it's and also they it's recruiting like targeting recruiting young people and people who don't have many other opportunities yes so recruiting well now it's got another opportunity and that is the uh the hyper patriotic child oh god oh my um, god yeah so they've got the hyper patriotic child but when i went in it was mainly like everybody was there for one reason and that was uh, well not not everybody i'd say a good 80 percent of us were there because we were poor right right they they come to high schools in poorer neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. I never had the army. I don't remember ever having the army come to any of the high schools that my friends went to. Oh, really? I don't think so. I mean, if they, if they did, they never talked about it. I, they didn't mm-hmm. come. Well, I went to an all girls school, so they didn't come to our, they didn't come by us. Yeah. Yeah. They, they I don't know. I've, I've watched recruiters discourage women from getting in the army. I was, there one day when they, when I was, of course, this is the eighties, but 
um, <coughs> this lady's trying to get in. She's got a kid. And they're like, yeah, well, we don't, we don't want, uh, you, you can't really join the army because you know, what's going to happen to your kid if we, if we have to send you somewhere. Right. And, you know, and the Marines, they were really against marriage. Like they were, because you're shock troops, they want you to be able to be mobile and not have these connections outside of the job. So that if just in case like you die, then, then there aren't people who are. Well, I think that might be a part of it. I think the, the part that they really don't like is they don't own you completely. Oh, that makes more sense. Okay. Yeah. And the, they do own you completely, but they know that you're going to be distracted. Right. Right. And so unless you're a, um, an officer or a staff enlisted, they really discourage. So young enlisted, they, they don't like it when you get married. Yeah, because you, you think about your life is so much more important now. You're intertwined with another person. It's not just and you, yeah. You're their property. That's oh. that's what you are when you're in the military. You are the property of the U.S. government. Right. Oh. And yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting thing. Yeah, Ronald Reagan was president when I was in. Oh, good lord. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I was a Reagan guy back in the day, and okay. uh, then later on in years, I actually in the Marines, I became more liberal. Believe it or not. Yeah, normally, I feel like normally the reverse happens. You know, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, I don't know. When I was in, there was a, a lot of talk. People would, would talk about things and you could argue for ideas. And, you know, it was among friends that I, I kind of became more liberal um, in the Marines because I grew up pretty conservative. I mean, in, in terms of like political kind of ways okay right that's fantastic that you were able to meet those wonderful people and yeah speak with them you know they're they messed up my mind (laughs) (laughs) like ooh, listen to this stuff you've never heard before (laughs) reason logic subjective uh, subjective reality objective reality what's happening (laughs) no (laughs) you mean it's not all in here it's not all true just because i think it's true yeah, and America's not the center of the entire world. No. Well, they were. They were for a while at some point. And and they still are at, at a lot of at a lot of levels, I think in terms of the fact that you and I could probably go to almost any country and speak uh, English. Yeah, and get away yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, I think about that all the time just how ridiculously how insane that is. Right. Yeah. Well, but you know, it it Whoever owns the the currency, I think, and ends up owning the language. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, Latin really, really big in the medical fields because uh, the churches were the were the first um, medicine. Right. Right. And Greece, Greece is your uh, your engineering terms are, are Greek. Because, you know, that's where we got some of that. And then Roman also. And so we get these languages come from the club. Wow. Okay. And it's all like. Yeah, I know. Like um, Latin root where all of English stems from. Yeah. Latin and Greek. 
Latin and, and Greek roots, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess Germanic are, are some of them that we've 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 adopted too. I mean, you really studied probably deeply into all this. I was going to say, yeah, English is a Germanic language, which is so funny because most of the English language is made up of Greek and Latin roots, but it's like a mix of Greek and Latin roots, German, and then Romance languages. But the Romance languages are also Latin. Latin. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's English is the worst. It's crazy. The rules don't make. There's so many rules that just don't make any sense that don't apply to any other spoken language or written language. Um, but it, at the same time, it's also one of the most expressive languages. Okay. Okay. I would think. I, I think so. I don't think there's any other languages that have nearly as many synonyms and 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 uh, for for things. Now, homonyms, I could just get away from. Just stop it. <laughs> get out of here with those. Yeah, those are annoying. Yeah, I mean, pair pair pair. Mm-hmm. And, I remember being a kid in elementary school, learning about them and being like, "This is stupid." Yeah, couldn't you just think of another word for it? a pair of shoes has nothing to do with a pear on a tree right Uh, and then and then a a paring knife yeah they they, they're they're all spelled differently they all mean different things Mm -hmm. when i was a kid i always thought about how different languages would sing their songs because words didn't rhyme the same way like right here, if you say, like, uh, green and screen, those mm-hmm. two words rhyme. The word for green and then the word for screen in other languages don't rhyme. So that was always a thing I thought of, like, it just made me realize, like, there are different, ev- they just have a different word for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we also have a bunch of words where it's just it sounds exactly the same but it means three different things <laughs> yes it's it's yeah. horrible yeah it's it's horrible <laughs> so <laughs> and now i gotta learn new pronouns damn it i'm 58 stop it with the pronouns well you were great when you introduced this when you said hey y'all that's your your yeah, y'all is my favorite my y'all is my favorite pronoun um and i actually was talking to some of my gay friends and saying, hey, y'all, I wish I was at the meeting when y'all decided they was your word because it's already, uh, it, because it's a separating word. It's a they, it's a, we already have an us and them problem and they's right there on the cusp of them. Mm-hmm. And so that's my argument. Um, but I wasn't at the meeting. Nobody asked me. I, think I wasn't y'all, at the meeting. <laughs> I think y'all would have been much better. Okay. Yeah. I, I, and, you know, because gay was brilliant because they took the word happy and they turned it into theirs. That was brilliant. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Taking the rainbow. Hey, guess what, Noah? We got the <laughs> rainbow now. Yeah. So those were brilliant moves. They, not so much. I think it's weak. That's so funny. Well, um, when you re- when you refer to somebody, when you're talking about a story, you say they. You know, like if you say, oh, yeah, I, um, I was walking down the street and I saw someone from school. Someone would say, oh, what's their name? Right. So it's just you already are using they in right. that way. Like you're already speaking in that way. But I've never used it as a 
personal straightforward pronoun to a person at their face. I mean, I have once somebody has said, hey, this is how I'd like to be referred to. I'm like, okay, let me remember that you are a they. Let me do the they thing. I have a friend who's a they. And right. She likes to go by they. They. He. they like to go by they. See, this there is the thing. There you go, but you just did it. You just worked I know through I it. You just worked it, through it and then I, said it. I should That's be all. still working through it. I mean, I've, I've known this for a while, so I shouldn't still be working through it. But language is another one of those things that we get stuck in that become our, our way, our habit. Yeah. And we lean on them like so many, so many phrases that should be retired, but people still say them just because they've been around forever. Yeah. Like us. I hate this one. A son is a son till he takes a wife, a daughter's a daughter, the rest of her life. Get out of here with that. That is ridiculous. What do you do? Disown the son? What happens here? It removes the responsibility of the son to take care of his parents. That's what that means. Mm. It's like, if you're a son, you only take care of your parents until you get married. But if you're a daughter, you take care of your parents until the day you die. Is this culturally true in the Italian community? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I hate Mm -hmm. it. And it makes no sense because how can you start saying that before a man is married? Because then that makes no sense. Because the whole point is that they take care of you until they get married. So them doing nothing their entire lives makes no sense. Well, here's here's what it is. Here's here's my theory on this. I'm going to throw out a theory. Yeah. My theory is that Italy did not have a social network for taking care of mama when she got old. Yeah. So yeah. they created a in in the beauty of the Catholic Church, they created a guilt net yes! to capture daughters with. Oh my god, that's exactly what happened. You So there's your social network. Uh, it's a social responsibility for all girls. Yep. It's raining out here a little bit. You little... you describe that perfectly. Oh my the... gosh. <laughs> oh, she's muddy. Oh, sorry. I let the dog out. Now I'm getting in trouble. Can you hear that? Yeah, that's okay. I mean, we've been chatting for a long time. Yeah, actually, we're reaching the time limit for Anchor. Uh, Actually, we just did, and they're going to cut us off in short order. Uh, I would love to thank you for coming out today. Um, I'm going to listen to this again, and we're going to put together (laughs) some copy, and I'll publish that copy, and you would be like, oh, that's some shit copy. And uh, (laughs) and then then you can send me your edits. Come on. That sounds, that sounds like a plan. We could do that. We got the dog back in the house. I let her out. She got muddy. (laughs) She's safe. She's just a dog. She's a dog dog. She's home now. Mm -hmm. So I would like to thank you for coming out. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please do share it. Um, on your social media. Um, Also subscribe to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast on whatever podcast uh, form you use, whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Um, There's a few others out there. Uh, Breaker, I think. So, yeah. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, Stefania. Language. (laughs) That's okay. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. I really enjoyed 
our conversation and the, the different topics we covered. And I hope you have a great night. Thank you again for having me. Yes. And so let's check out uh, cagebitlit.com. And I said that probably wrong. C-A-G-I-B-I lit.com. Yes. Um, what else? You had another one on there. You might need to hear this.com. You, oh, that's right there. Yep. You might need to hear this.com. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Have a Th- great day. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Bye. All right. I'll see you on Twitter. Yes. Yeah, see ya. <laughs> All right. Bye. bye.